Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. How are you today? Good morning, Jim. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a longtime listener. I am looking at a used house, an 84 model, and the seller told me it has a geothermal heat cooling system, and I don't have any idea what that means, but I couldn't find any of the normal apparatus that comes with an AC system. I'm a little bit freaked out. Do you know anything about that? (laughs) Yes, I do. Uh, Geothermal is where it's actually using the ground to heat and cool your home. And, well, I, I say ground. Normally they, they use the ground, but it can use a pond. It can use different things. But typically, you, you must have a, a more than just a residential lot on this. It's a residential home. It's about an 8,000-square-foot home, but this deal is – and it's got a separate building that's got some kind of pump equipment in it, too. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And what that pump equipment does is they drill the holes down into the ground – they got to have them so many feet apart or it'll burn the ground. And they pump a fluid through those hoses down into the ground. The ground temperature is always constant. And so it, it uh, cools that fluid. That fluid comes up and goes through the coil on the blower for the air conditioning system. And mm-hmm. basically the air blows across those coils. It cools down and circulates in your home. I mean, that's the simplified version of what it is uh here's the things you're going to want to check on though how old is the system you, okay. you said you said the house was built in what 84? 84 and they and they tell me that he replaced the components three years ago okay and he gave me some electric bills from last year that are stunningly low. So it appears, oh, yeah. unless they didn't have this thing turned on very much, they it are, appears that it's efficient. They are very energy efficient. You know, a, a normal air conditioning system right now, if you get a, a, a good one, is at 18 sear. I mean, people are putting in four, uh, 14 and 16 sear all the time, but 18 sear is very efficient. 21 is about as high as we get on an electric system. A geothermal system can come in at 30 to 35 sear rating. Wow. Uh, Now, it typically has a lifespan of about 30 years, so it typically will last much longer than a regular system as well. They do cost more to put in, but the big question I I would ask is, how old is the system? And I know he said he replaced all the, the components, so that's a good thing. But the other question is, how deep did they go when they drilled? And the reason that's critical, when they first started installing these things, uh, they were only, I want to say they were only going down like a 80 feet or something, and they found it wasn't deep enough. It was trying to disperse so much heat, it was scorching the ground where grass and stuff wouldn't live above it. And so now they're going down like 200 feet. Uh, so really, just find out how deep they went, and other than that, find out who's been servicing it, because not every AC company can service a geothermal system. And if you and if it needs to go deeper, do you do you do that, or do you just tear it no. out and put in something normal? 
if the system's been in for, you know, more than a couple years, mm-hmm. I don't think you need to worry about going deeper. That's the reason I want to find out how how old it is. If it's been in the in for like 15, 20 years and and it hasn't had an issue yet, you should be totally fine. And and I got to be honest, I seriously looked at putting a geothermal in my house uh several years ago, but I wasn't ready for a new AC system. And then they started coming out with the ductless systems. Well, a ductless system rivals the sear rating of a geothermal system, and it didn't have all the expense of drilling and all that kind of stuff. But if you've got one that's installed already, they are great. And that's great to hear. I appreciate that, Jim. You've given me invaluable guidance and pointed me in the right direction. Thanks very much. You bet, Pat. Good luck with that. And uh, once you once you have it, I'd be really curious to to hear how it works for you. I'll give you a follow up call. Thank you, sir. Robert, how are you? Just fine, Jim. I uh, hope I'm not asking a dumb question, but I have a, an upstairs uh, shower. And I've developed apparently a leak in the drain line. Whenever I turn the water on in the shower, then I get leakage uh, down into this first floor. Uh, okay. And I I don't know if I have any options other than just tearing the wall out and trying to find the leak. Well, it, well it's. You're going to end up tearing some sheetrock out to fix it unless you have an access panel somewhere. And this is a shower, not a tub shower, correct? It's a tub shower. Okay. If it's a tub shower, before you even start tearing stuff out, there's there's one thing I would like you to try. Uh, instead of turning the shower on, fill the tub up with some water and drain it and see if you get the water then. Uh, and then if you don't get water, then you can go to the secondary thing, put the stop in the tub, turn the shower on, and see if you're starting to get a drip. Let the tub fill up with water. And what okay. what I'm checking for is there's two places that leak. One is in the P-trap for the tub, the waste and overflow. The other, though, is the from the tub spigot up to the shower head. Sometimes those pipes develop a leak, and this will that'll tell you which one it is. Excellent, excellent. Uh, why would the P-trap start leaking? Well, it, it's they for some reason, and I don't know why, but they use a very thin wall plastic on the P-traps, and the older P-traps. I, I don't know how old your home. How old is your home? It's old. It's fifty years old. Okay. The, the, that old a home has a metal P trap in it, and I, it's I, yeah. You, you've changed it out. No, it's metal. Okay, sure. yeah, and an old metal P trap, you know, it, it'll just start rusting and eventually get a hole in it. Okay, and the P trap would be located directly under the tub or beside it. Well, it, it's it's a combination of the P trap and overflow. You know, the the overflow for the tub. It has a pipe behind it that drops down into where the P-trap is. And that's that's normally where the, the leaks will develop, is it right in that area. Most homes have an access panel to the bottom of the tub in one of the walls. So at the very worst, if that's where it's at, they'd have to just cut an access panel where you could have a, a uh, permanent P 
panel put on there that and they can repair it from that okay all right excellent you've been very helpful thank you jim this is jim how can i help you good afternoon i'm building a two bedroom two bath 1200 square foot house over in the old country uh-huh <clears throat> pardon me north of fredericksburg i'm looking at either building a stick house or a barn dominium do you have any experience with either any suggestions I have with both, and it really is going to depend on the look that you're going for uh, and and the style. Because, and I say that, uh, you know, a lot of times people want to go with a cabin look where they got a porch. Well, Mueller Steel Buildings has actually come out with a Barnuminium uh, concept where you've got the front porch, covered front porch, where you can have your rockers and porch yeah. swings and all that, and, and they look great. And I've got an office uh, from Mueller where we built half the building into office and the other half is shop, and it, it really works out well. That's what I'm looking for. Just build the structure, put the house in part of it, put a carport and shop in the other part. Okay, then Mueller building, the reason I'm recommending them, they're all over Texas. Uh, they They got local distribution all over the place for it. And they can help you with a contractor in the local area there that installs their buildings. They themselves don't do the the install. They make the components and, you know, they'll put the kit together. But they have a list of contractors that they know do a good job of putting them in. Do you put a radiant barrier underneath a metal roof? I did on mine. And not just on the, under the metal roof, but under the metal walls as well. You'll use the uh, radiant barrier that has the bubble stuff uh, type yeah. radiant barrier. That's what's made for uh, metal buildings. And it will make, in our shop area, it makes about a 15 degree difference between in the shop and outside. And I have other buildings that don't have the uh, radiant barrier in it. And you can't hardly hold yourself in them. It is, it's a night and day difference with that radiant barrier. I've seen where they take that foam and spray it up on the ceilings. And that's fine if you're going to air condition the shop area. But if you're not going to air condition it, go with the radiant barrier. Yeah. All right. And is that a decking or is they just hang it? They just hang it. When I did mine, uh, once the ironwork was up, I put the radiant barrier on and then the sheet metal goes over the radiant barrier. Okay. So it just... I'll have to ask them because I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. Okay. But it it, it works extremely well. And, you know, my building uh, was built in 06, I believe it was. And uh, if I ever have to build another office, I would do the same way. Well, I've got some friends, and they just knock out a wall and add it on to their house, and you can't even tell the difference. Yep. No, it's, it's a great way to do them. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Mueller's good good folks. Absolutely. Got it. Thank you. Appreciate you, it. You bet. Take care. Jerry, you got some poles that have rotted off, or you got one that looks like it's starting to rot off, and there are some fixes for it. Uh, they do make a clamp that can go around it. It looks like a big clamp that would go on a water pipe that you literally would have to break the concrete out around it. Because you're going to have to get it down to where you got solid wood below the ground. 
and right. above the ground. The other way to do it is you're still going to have to break the concrete out, but you can take a sauna tube and cut the sauna tube lengthways in half so that you can open it up and put it around the pole. Okay. And then you can just uh, use duct tape to seal up that crack again and pour concrete with rebar around the pole. And that okay. fills that, that rotted spot and uh, you know okay. makes a great patch that lasts for years to come. And make sure you slope the water on the top of, or the concrete on the top of it so any water that does come down runs off all the time. Okay, is there any uh, just regular concrete or is there any specific uh, poly, poly type concrete that would be better? Well, you can use a poly type, but just regular concrete will, will work and, and do a great okay. job for it. Fantastic. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate it. You bet. Take care. And there's nothing easy about doing it, but it, it definitely does fix the, the issue and buys you a lot of years of that pole again. I actually had, in the last two weeks, two different people talk to me about windows, and they were thinking because they had a brick home, they couldn't do replacement windows without tearing brick off. And, you know, we need to talk real quick, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about, how the process is about about taking the old windows out and putting the new one in because a, a lot of people think you've got to get back to the studs and they don't realize that's not how they go in about the about the voids that are happening so you you know you got your brick veneer we're going to talk brick veneer right now uh and, and obviously different types of veneers out but we're going to say the, the brick exterior portion right now so you you have a, a builder's let's just start with the builder's grade window that you had in your home for say 25 30 years and now you see that the seals are broken. You see that there's moisture gathered in. And you say, hey, I want to replace windows. And then you call America's Choice Windows. We come out. We look at the windows and say, you know, we agree with you that your windows are needing to be replaced. So what we do, Jim, is we actually measure the windows to fit typically with an eighth of an inch. Now, obviously, we take the, the narrowest point of that brick because we don't know what the masonry might have done to make sure that window fits in properly. But what we do is we do a deglazing around the window with a handheld propane torch and melt the glazing bead and pull that whole glass unit out. And I think there's a, pic, a video on THI Pro website, on our website as well, that indicates us showing how we take the, the, the glazing bead out, the glass unit out, the IG, and then we collapse the frame, the sides, top and the bottom, and it kind of folds in like an accordion would, just kind of folds inside. Then we break the, the frame off the, the nailing fins that are attached to the studs when they built the home for the new construction. Can I, can I put our this new into window, English? Hang on, before you put the new window in, can I put this into layman's terms for all of us? Basically, you come in, <laughs> you heat the, the, the adhesive that's holding the glass in place so it softens up, and you take the glass out of the frame. Then you're collapsing that aluminum frame into the opening, tearing the fins off by by basically leaving the nails in the studs and tearing the aluminum so that it folds into the opening and out without having to remove any brick. That's right. That's okay. right. So, yeah. Uh, so then, then we put our window in, which is which fits in the opening of that window. That's why, again, we say custom manufactured. So then it fits in the opening, and then we're able to do our screw pattern with the screws that will be what's attaching the window to the stud. Right. Yeah, and, and instead of using fins, the new screws go in through the side of the window casing. They do. They go into the side, so the the balancers were able to to operate properly 
when you try to open up the windows, whether that be the bottom sash only or the top and bottom sash. So they, they're actually screwed into the side of the window frame itself, which is why it's so important for us to make sure that we use the proper vinyl, which is a virgin vinyl, four-point fusion welded system so that we don't have to worry about the vinyl becoming brittle, cracking, and breaking because there's a lot of windows out there, Jim, that they try to sell for a lot of money, Ooh, and it's yeah. very flimsy in the in the manufacturing part, and they screw into the frame, and guess what? It cracks, and that's kind of the bad apples that we're talking about. We don't do that. Everything we do is custom manufactured to fit that opening exactly. Okay, I got one more question for you. And, and again, this is back on the installation of the windows, because uh, the other call that I had, uh, well, this one was an email, actually. Uh, she was concerned because she had some windows installed by somebody else, and it had a big gap, and they didn't fill the gap. They actually just took wood and built the window just over the uh, window, filled the gap that way. And so she okay. had all this dead air space in between. The window wasn't sized properly. That, that's the bottom line is the window wasn't measured properly. So when the, when the window wasn't measured properly, then you're going to have large gaps. And, and, you, and you can't level a window with when you have an, a, a two to three inch gap. It's just probably impossible to do. Now, the manufacturers do allow uh, allowances for size requirements because of what I said a while ago. Example, if the masonry come out and he had one brick farther in or a row of bricks farther in, on that particular window, you can't shave the brick. Well, you could, but it's not encouraged to, right? So that's why the manufacturers actually send what is called a filler, which is which in which is uh, actually in manufacturer specs to do so. You put the filler in, and then it, it it creates that void fill, and then you don't have that air infiltration popping in and out. Now, with that said, if somebody's going to try to start placing wood in there, I mean, if it's my home, I don't think I'd want a, a two inch three-inch piece of wood in my home. No. Jim, you're talking, when you talk about tunneling underneath these slabs to replace that cast iron sewer pipe there, uh, yeah. does that just destroy the vapor barrier? You know, in, in some cases, the vapor barrier does get damaged, but a lot of people don't realize the vapor barrier is not there to keep moisture from coming up through the slab. It's more there for when the concrete is poured to keep the soil from pulling the moisture out too fast. It The newer vapor barriers now that we put in slabs are installed to keep moisture from coming up but back in the 60s when the cast iron pipe was being put in it's all full of holes and stuff because like i said it was simply there to keep moisture from being sucked out of the concrete uh, that's pretty interesting i didn't know that yeah okay well that takes care of my question thank you you bet take care and, uh, you know, the newer vapor barriers that we're putting in now, it's a heavier plastic. It's still just a plastic. But one thing a lot of people don't realize, you know, we all think plastic just deteriorates underground, and it does, or, it, or that it does not deteriorate underground, but it actually does. If you go under a home that's, you know, 40, 50 years old, and you, you uh, look up at that plastic, it's actually looking, when I use the uh, black plastic, it actually looks more like a felt paper under there, like a tar paper, because it's starting to degrade and it's adhered itself to the concrete. And so in, in those cases, nah, the vapor barrier is totally fine. But like I said, it, it all just depends on the, uh, the type of moisture barrier that's underneath there and, and how well it held up. And we're going to head out to East Texas. Hello, Pete. 
Hello, Jim. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? Well, I'm uh, out here. I've got a uh, carport that I've enclosed into a shop, and uh, I'm having a little trouble with some leakage uh, on the old metal carport roof. Yeah. I cannot determine whether it's coming in around the screws or, uh, you know, just seeping through some some other way. Um, and I was wondering, is it uh, any good to use some of these uh, sprays maybe on the underside to try to figure out where it's coming in and, and stop it that way? Or would I be better off to replace the screws, or is there a... Uh, a covering like a spray covering or something on the on the uh, top side of the roof. Yeah, if you're going to put anything as far as a sealer on, you would want to do it on the top side. Okay. Uh, to keep the water from coming through to begin with, there's two places where these things will leak. One is the screws. The other is where the seams are. But normally, right. it is going to be the screws are just kind of backing out as they age. So you can, or it's got the old rubber. Uh, gasket on the seal on on the uh, screw and those deteriorate and and start leaking and if that's the case you can get a bucket of that sealer and just put it on each one of the screws and seal it up okay uh is it it called a particular thing is there a um, just metal roof sealer or yeah yeah it's it's just a uh, metal roof sealer and typically i i don't know what color your cover is but normally i recommend go with the white yeah, that's uh, that's what I'll do. So, yeah. All right, I'll give that a shot. All righty, take care. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. And again, our number, 1-800-288-9227. And, you know, on talking about those sealers real quick, they, they make it with and without a fiber in it. For normal screws and things like that, you don't need the fiber mixed into it. If you get into where you find, like on a old... A, a flashing or a valley or something like that where something might have torn and, and it's got a pretty good sized hole th- or or maybe along a fireplace or something that's where you use the uh, material that has the fiber mixed into it because it'll it'll span across those gaps better but normally the little ca- gap that you've got on a screw you just don't need that roger welcome to wbap Thank you. Uh, this is my first time calling. I hope I don't trip over my own tongue. But, oh, you'll be fine. Um, we're going to have a, uh, we haven't had anybody come out and estimate for us a garage floor, detached garage. Uh, I don't plan on, you know, moving anything heavy into there. You know, just now and then, like, park the motorcycles, pull the car up and work on it or whatever. Um Whatever building I have is going to have a loft or, you know, I'm hoping like either a mansard or gambrel style roof, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, I was just wondering what kind of thickness I need for a garage floor, maybe weight of concrete, the mix, whatever. Okay. Well, the you're going to have perimeter beams. Your beam on the perimeter of the foundation is going to be 10 to 12 inches wide. And should be a minimum of 18 inches deep. And then, and that's your perimeter beam to give it some rigidity. Then you should have, is this going to be a two car or one car? Two car. Okay. If you're going to do a two car. Okay. Then you, then you're going to want to have a crisscross beam uh, through the middle of the building as well. 
Okay. And you can make those beams the same size. The flat part in between the mat is only four inches thick. Okay. And then uh, use concrete strength, 3,000 PSI concrete. Is that like minimum or is that preferred? That's well, that's the standard for okay. slabs and such. So okay. I would not go over 4,000. I mean, sometimes people want to kick up to 3,500, but 3,000 is the standard, and, and it's plenty good. Okay. Um, as far as reinforcing, use a number three rebar Okay. on 12-inch centers both directions. Okay. So, yeah, uh, we're not, I'm, I'm not going to pour it myself, actually. I'm going to have somebody do it, but, you know, I just want to know what they're going to the difference between what they're going to try to sell me and what I need. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, that, that yeah, what okay. I just gave you is the minimum that I would do any garage slab at. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate that. You and, bet. Uh, do you think it would make any difference for me to, like, uh, before they actually pour, like, put a piece of PVC in for, like, you know, to run electric wire or uh, run put uh, some pvc for water if i want to have a, a sink or something in that you, building you can there's uh you know when i did my uh, shop yeah, my office and shop i put all the plumbing in the the shop area for another bathroom that i added later so yeah you definitely can do that now if you do if you're going to put electrical or water lines those actually can come up on the outside and into the wall as well so you wouldn't necessarily Ah, have to put those into the slab but if you're going to have a drain line for a toilet you would want to put that in now right 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 oh yeah i wasn't even considering the sink thing i mean uh, the drain yeah i was just thinking supply (laughs) yeah it's got to go somewhere too (laughs) you're right okay well thank you you bet take care You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.